Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here today. We're ready to study the Bible with us. We're going to answer as many questions as we can from the Bible. If you're a first-time viewer, you may wonder what Know Your Bible is about. Uh, that's pretty simple. We want people to know their Bible a little bit better, uh, so we answer questions. There's a phone number and a website on the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us and ask us a question. Maybe you've always wondered about something, or maybe you wonder if something's in the, really in the Bible or where it is or uh, this doctrine or this topic. Maybe it's something in your life. We get a lot of life questions on Know Your Bible. Uh, folks wonder what the Bible has to say about this situation or this parenting uh, thing or this uh, current event, and we'll try to find you an answer in the Bible. The Bible covers a lot of topics, so we're happy to study it for the next 30 minutes and answer as many questions as we can. Uh, give us a call or an email, and we'll get you an answer to your question. And the ones answering your question with me today are uh, Jeff Martin's down there on the end. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Welcome back. And Toby Levering's here as usual. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. And I'm Steve Tandy, and we're going to try to answer a few questions, uh, but we always let you have the first one. So here's our viewer question of the day. Uh, how many sheep per day were required to feed Solomon's palace? Uh, how big was Solomon's palace is a pretty good question here. Uh, ten sheep, hundred sheep, or a thousand sheep? And we'll give you an answer at the end of the program. I'll give you an idea of what kind of kingdom Solomon was running. Looks like Jeff got number one today, so Jeff, get us started. All right. Somebody wants to know about reincarnation. What does the Bible say about reincarnation? So first of all, first of all I'll just loosely define reincarnation. It means... In, uh, that you're reborn here on earth, uh, that you get a new body and, and a new life here on earth. And based on how you live, that can be uh, in the form of a human body or an animal body uh, in some circumstances. And there's many religions uh, that still believe this. The Bible has very little to say directly uh, about reincarnation. In fact, it doesn't say anything specifically about reincarnation. Uh, but while it doesn't have anything to say specifically, uh, it does have quite a bit to say about death and about judgment and about afterlife. Uh, so let's look at one of those instances in Hebrews 9, and this is 27 and 28, but specifically at the beginning of verse 27, uh, we get a, a very simple statement. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Uh, so as Christians, what we have there is, again, a very definitive statement to hold on to uh, when it comes to whether or not we should believe in reincarnation or uh, another life here on earth. Uh, we only have one life. Uh, that's all we get, and that, that carries a lot of weight 
with it. Uh, and then after that life, we have eternal life, either in heaven or in hell. Uh, so simply put, uh, for a Christian, the idea of reincarnation should be rejected. All right. If you've got a history question here, I want to know about giants. Uh, were there real giants in the Old Testament? Uh, well, yes, we have a report directly from some undercover agents that went into Palestine and uh, scoped it out. And here's what the 12 spies reported when they got back from Numbers chapter 13. Uh, it says, all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Uh, there we saw the giants. Uh, the descendants of Anak came from giants. All right, so the 12 spies of Israel went in and uh, scoped out the land and came back and said, there's some really big guys in there. Uh, in fact, it scared them so bad they were afraid to invade, even with God's help. So they got in a little trouble for that. But, yes, there were giants in the Old Testament. Uh, we've got a famous story of David fighting a giant named Goliath. Uh, the Bible's account of Goliath says he was about nine feet tall, so uh, he was a big fellow. Now, uh, some people take that and make something really unusual out of it and kind of make it a mythical giant like Paul Bunyan or uh, something like that. Uh, they weren't mythical creatures. They were big, tall people. Now, there's big, tall people today. Uh, Robert Wadlow lived a few years ago. Uh, he was 8 foot 11. So there are big people today. Uh, different ethnicities uh, around the world have different heights. Uh, I googled this a little bit and found out the Serbs and Croatians are the tallest uh, ethnicity on earth. The average male is six foot three. Uh, that's a pretty tall average. Uh, if you watch the NBA, you notice there's a lot of Serbs and Croatians playing in the NBA because uh, there are a lot of seven footers over there. Uh, there's also some races in the world or ethnicities that are average five feet tall. So we've got different heights in the world today. There were different heights back then, and obviously there were a race of people that were taller than everybody else. So, yes, there were giants, but uh, that doesn't mean mythical, sub superhuman, uh, half-human kind of giants. Uh, just big people, I think, is what lived back then, and there certainly were. All right. Next question is uh, about a, a quote. Where does it say, I knew you before you were conceived? How is that possible? Well, uh, it's possible uh, because uh, man is more than just a physical being. Uh, the quote you're referring to is found in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, it's found in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Let's read it together on the screen. The Lord says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I pointed you a prophet to the nations. Uh, God knew Jeremiah and knew the role that he had for him, the calling that he had for him as a prophet. He had work for Jeremiah specifically to do, and that began before Jeremiah began. And this reminds us that, as I said, human beings are more than just flesh and blood. There's more to us than that. In the creation account, we're told uh, that God said, let us make man in our image. Well, what does that mean? Not a physical image, because Jesus would later say that God is spirit. And so we're talking about the spiritual aspect of 
human beings, the eternal aspect of us, the soul uh, that is uh, outside of the body that is, is much more than just flesh and blood. So that's, that's what it means, and we certainly understand that God knows, can know us uh, before we manifest <laughs> physically. Uh, Psalm 139 uh, won't be on the screen, but I'll read to you part of that. It says, the psalmist says to God, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, and as yet there were none of them. Uh, God saw the psalmist even before he was made. And when, then we start to really think, well, how did that work? And, you know, how, how did he know us? And how, you know, the, the scripture doesn't give us that, those particular details just to remind us that there's more to us uh, than just our birth date, our death date, and the life in between. Uh, so that's what that means. Uh, the lesson for all of us is that we are spiritual beings at our core, and there's an eternal part of us that goes on uh, after our death in the body. So I hope that uh, helps just a little bit, and that's where you find it, Jeremiah 1.5. All right. Uh, let's talk about a way to study the Bible. Uh, we take just a little bit of time each week to offer you some uh, ways to study the Bible on your own, in your own home. And you know, we like answering questions and hope you learn a little bit, but uh, the Bible is the Word of God, and it deserves a little more of our attention than 30 minutes a week, we think. Uh, and we know a lot of our students, are, our viewers, are solid students of the Bible that uh, spend time in it every day. We know a lot of our viewers just haven't ever got that habit started. So uh, we try to help you do that. We've got some tools that we will offer to you absolutely free of charge. There's a set of lessons, of just a good overview of the Bible. Uh, starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament, helps you understand the difference there, and then goes on to other topics. Uh, once you get through those eight lessons, you'll get a handsome certificate that says you completed it, and then you can uh, continue on if you want to. You can study for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. Uh, we've been doing these paper lessons for uh, years and years through the mail, but uh, recently we've added some online courses that are a good way to uh, for you a little more modern techie folks to study the Bible uh, with your tablet, your phone, wherever you want. So if you want to do that, uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and uh, they'll ask you a few questions and get you set up with uh, some online courses. Uh, great Bible studies. Uh, once again, good overviews, good non-denominational studies of the Bible and you'll learn a lot about your Bible. You'll definitely know your Bible better after a few of these courses. So all of that's free to you. Just uh, let us know. There's a phone number and a website on the screen all the time. If you'd like to print courses, sign up for the online ones on your own and uh, get started studying the Bible. We think you'll enjoy it. All right, uh, Jeff, we get a lot of baptism questions, and we might have said one time something about scriptural baptism. This viewer wants to know something about that. It's an important <laughs> question. It's a good one to answer, and there's a, there's a right way to answer it. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about baptism, uh, and more than I can cover in a few minutes. Uh, so I strongly recommend, if you've never done this before, to go to the New Testament uh, to find every instance uh, where someone is baptized, uh, where baptism is mentioned, 
and go over that and make that conclusion yourself based on Scripture alone. Uh, when you do that, when you read the Bible like that, it makes it very obvious what scriptural baptism is. But for the short time that we have today, let's just look at one of those instances. Let's look at Romans 6, uh, verses 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Uh, so that verse and, and many others put a strong emphasis on water baptism, but, well, sorry, water baptism to be in Christ. Uh, and we know historically, we know because of the meaning of this word that they're talking about immersion or complete burial in water. Uh, but we also know from reading the Bible, of course, that it's not baptism itself that saves us. It's not the dunking into the water. Uh, there's other things that go along with that. If that was true, then we could just uh, dunk people, believe it or not, into the water and everyone would be saved. That's not the case. As Christians, we know that we're saved by grace. We're saved because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And... But if you continue to read the Word, it's impossible to separate salvation from water baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, and it's been this way since the very first gospel lesson was preached uh, to the people who would eventually be the first Christians. Uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, and this won't be on your screen, but in Acts 2.38, uh, he had preached to the early Christians uh, that they were guilty of the death of Christ. And they were cut to the heart and they asked a simple question, what should we do? And he gave them a simple answer. In Acts 2, verse 38, he told them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter, again, was talking about immersion. He was talking about being physically baptized. And so that's the same scriptural baptism that we should be taking part in today. Okay, good explanation. And like you said, we could talk about baptism a lot. Absolutely. We do talk about it a lot. One viewer asked one time, why do you talk so much about baptism? <laughs> and my answer was, well, because we get that many questions about baptism. Yes, yeah. A lot of confusion in the world over it. There so. is. And Jeff, you made uh, really liked your perspective to just remind them, just read through the Scripture. Let the Scripture speak. Absolutely. And when you do that, it is just very simple and plain. Human beings add confusion to it, but the Bible <laughs> is very clear. <laughs> yep. In fact, my next question is, if I was going to play off of that too, that just read the Bible. This viewer says, uh, why do you not believe in speaking in tongues as taught all throughout the New Testament. Uh, okay, so this viewer believes, uh, has been taught that uh, the Bible talks about speaking in tongues all through the New Testament, and so why don't we believe in it? Uh, well, let me try something interesting here for our viewer. I'm just going to talk about everything it says in the New Testament about speaking in tongues. And at the end of it, I'll tell you, I believe that. So let's read the first time. The first time is in Acts chapter uh, 2, verses 4 through 6, talking about the apostles here. 
uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. All right, there's the first instance of speaking in tongues or speaking in other languages. The apostles on the day of Pentecost uh, preached the gospel message, uh, and because there were a lot of people from foreign nations there, the Spirit gave them the power to speak in those languages, and people heard them in their languages and understood what they were saying. So I believe that happened. I believe this gift of being able to speak in different languages uh, was given by the Holy Spirit to the twelve apostles, and I believe exactly what the New Testament says there. Second time that speaking in other languages is mentioned is in First Corinthians. Uh, we won't put that on the screen because there's three chapters about it. Read First Corinthians twelve, thirteen, and fourteen, and there Paul is addressing the misuse, the the counterfeiting, uh, the wrong use of the gift of speaking in other languages. And 1 Corinthians is a book of problems, and this is one of the problems they had. And so Paul tells them uh, that they shouldn't misuse the gift uh, if they have it, and they shouldn't counterfeit it if they don't have it. Uh, and just read 12, 13, 14 with that mindset, and you'll see what he's talking about. And he says in chapter 13 and verse 8, uh, on top of that, the gift of us speaking another language is, is going to cease. It will stop. Uh, so don't be so excited about it. And then in chapter 14, he tells them, now, if you're going to speak in other languages uh, in the assembly, uh, he gave them some rules. And he said, uh, n number one, uh, it's not for believers. It's for unbelievers. So if there's a non-Christian there who speaks another language, uh, you can use your gift to preach the gospel to him, just like in Acts chapter 2. Uh, he said two or three people can speak in other languages in a worship assembly. they got to take turns. Uh, they can't all speak at once. Uh, he said uh, the spirit of a prophet controls the spiritual gift. So it's not something that overtakes you that you can't control. He says you can control it. Um, so he gives some rules. Don't misuse the uh, spiritual gift of speaking in other languages. Uh, if you're going to use it, do it here. Okay, I believe that. Now, some people think, well, I'm going to go on and on here with all these instances from the Bible. I'm done. That's all the New Testament says about speaking in tongues. Uh, no other book mentions speaking in tongues. Now, our viewer has been told that the New Testament's full of speaking in tongues. It's not. It happened on the day of Pentecost. It happened in certain missionary instances. Like Paul said, I speak in tongues a lot because he went to foreign countries. Uh, but the only other mention in the New Testament of tongue speaking or language speaking uh, is the misuse of speaking in tongues. Uh, so you read those, follow that. If you've got the legitimate gift of tongues today, uh, you've got to have an interpreter there. That was the other rule that Paul made. Uh, somebody's got to tell you what language it is and translate it 
from that language into whatever language you're speaking in. So uh, the Bible's not full of speaking in tongues. It's a very rare thing. And after 1 Corinthians, we never read about it again. We don't find it in the early church. Uh, it ceased, just like Paul said it would. So, uh, yes, I believe a bit in speaking in tongues, just like the New Testament portrays it, uh, but it's not like what speaking in tongues is taught to be today. All right, Toby, what do you got coming here? All right, the uh, question I have is about the doctrine of election. The viewer asks, what is the doctrine of election, and does it agree with the Bible? All right, so... My first the answer in the first part of the question is, what is the doctrine of election? Uh, the word election simply means choice. Uh, we understand that in America. We, every couple of years, we get to cho choose uh, who our leaders are going to be, who our elected leaders are going to be. We have an election. So the doctrine of election simply refers to the idea that God chooses who are going to be saved and who will not be saved. Now, I do believe God has a choice, but I don't fully agree with the doctrine of election because I don't think it matches up with all of Scripture. And that's something we have to be careful to do as we're examining doctrines or creeds or any human teaching is we have to examine against all of Scripture. If we have to choose some verses as our favorite verses and ignore other verses and kind of push them to the side, there might be a problem with our doctrine there's not a problem with the word. So, in regard to the doctrine of election, Ephesians chapter 1 is a great place that kind of gives us this idea. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is verse 3, who has blessed us in Christ, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, and I think that's key, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So the idea of God's choice, I believe, and we can clearly look at from that scripture, verse 4, is that the choice, God's divine choice, was Jesus, his son. And we also have a choice whether we're going to be in Christ or not. He's left that choice to us. God's divine choice is Jesus Christ. But then our choice is whether or not we're going to follow him and obey him. And that choice was presented to people back in Jesus' day, and it's the same choices available to us today. God's divine choice is Jesus. We have to choose uh, to be in him or not. It's God's will for everyone to be saved. It's not like God, and this is the problem I have with the divine, the, the doctrine of election, election, is this this idea that if we take all the people that have ever lived, and God's sort of sitting here picking, well, you're saved, and you're saved, and you're saved, and you're saved, and sorry, 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 sorry. That just doesn't jive with Scripture. Let's look at a couple of Scriptures to help me help you understand. John 3.16, the best-known one, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So again, it's whoever chooses to believe in Christ, whoever chooses to obey Christ. Let's look at 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. Paul wrote, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the doctrine of election, I can't say that I fully agree with it, not because my opinion matters, but because what Scripture 
seems to say God desires everyone to, to be saved. Now, the divine choice of God, Jesus Christ. And our choice is whether we're going to follow him. So I hope that explains the doctrine of election and why I don't fully agree with it as 100% biblical. All right. Let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. This program is sponsored by the Churches of Christ, and we're kept on the air by a number of them. And we like to mention a few each week uh, today. Let's mention one up in a market up in South Dakota. Sioux Falls is where we broadcast from up there. And the Southeastern uh, Avenue Church of Christ is a great group of people that uh, believe in this program and help us stay on the air up there. Uh, we recently had a time change up there. The uh, TV station reorganized their Sunday morning uh, lineup, and we got kicked out of our spot that we had been at for many years, and now we're on at 11 o'clock. Uh, if you're watching this, you've obviously found us, and we're glad you have. We're on both Fox and the CW channels. Uh, and hope that you made the transition with us. But visit uh, the Sioux Falls Church of Christ. Uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible and thank them for providing the program for you, uh, whatever market you're in. Uh, there's Church of Christ near you if you're looking for a church home. All right, Jeff, we got a famous question here about yes. Jesus' family. And mine's much easier <laughs> than the doctrine of election. Uh, did Jesus have any brothers and sisters? Uh, so we know from several sources in the Bible that Jesus did have brothers and sisters. Uh, and let's just look at one in Matthew thirteen fifty-five. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Um, this seems pretty self-explanatory, and if it doesn't, uh, you can look in Matthew twelve forty-six, Luke eight nineteen, Mark three thirty-one. Uh, Galatians 1.19, and the list goes on. Um, there are many who argue that these were Jesus' cousins, but it never says the word cousin, and in each instance, um, the Greek word for brother is used. Uh, usually the reason that this concept is argued uh, is because people want to prop up the idea uh, that Mary was perpetually a virgin. Uh, which is a common belief in Catholicism. But if you read the Bible, if you read these scriptures, uh, if you take them at face value, it will become clear very quickly uh, that Jesus did, in fact, have brothers and sisters. All righty. I think we got time for this one. If viewer wants to know, will there be enough water in heaven for fishing? Uh, and that may seem like a funny question, but the, the caller uh, asked it because he said a non-Christian that he knew had asked him about that. Will there be fishing in heaven? And he wanted to know how to answer him. So I thought, okay, let's answer that. Uh, we don't know what heaven is going to be like. Uh, we do know that God's going to make new heavens and a new earth. Now, he made the original heavens and earth and said it was good. So if he's going to make new ones, uh, I imagine it's going to be better. Uh, see, the world was excellent, was perfect, was good. Uh, until sin came into the world, and then it messed things up. Uh, so if there was water and fishing in this world, and the new heavens and new earth are going to be better, it'll be fine with me if there's some fishing ponds and fish and, and all of that. I know PETA wouldn't approve of that, but uh, we'll let God figure that all out. There may be uh, whatever it is, we're going to enjoy it, and there's going to be no problems up there. So we thank you for all of your questions today. Trivia question, uh, 100 sheep were needed. Sorry we didn't have time for that. 
welcome by, welcome back next week and we'll uh, wait for you then have a great week until then know your bible has been presented by the churches of christ in your area churches of christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of christians seeking to do god's will our goal is simple new testament christianity we follow the bible as our only guide Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near...